Welcome back to Cargumentum, your favorite automotive podcast on which we uh, chat to you all about cars, motoring, reviews, scandal, all that kind of stuff. I'm your host, Thomas Faulkner from the Sunday Times. And this week in the virtual studio, I'm joined by Brenwin Naidu and Dennis Dropper. Gentlemen, how are you? Dennis? Oh, great. Thanks, Tom. Uh, it's nice to be back on the show and uh, we're enjoying the the rainy weather that is uh, that has struck Gauteng, so we really need that. So, yeah, hopefully we can go and drive something interesting out there and power slide it around too. <laughs> exactly, exactly. We're all about the power slides. Mr. Naidu, how are things on your side? Yes, uh, Thomas, Dennis, uh, things are great on, on my side. Uh, enjoying this um, Quattro weather, although I, I, I'm not driving anything with Quattro. I mean, the front-wheel drive uh, Polo. Um, but yes, much needed downpour and hopefully the, the garden will benefit from all of this. Exactly, exactly. My lawn is looking a little bit worse for wear, but it's slowly and surely getting a little bit greener, which is uh, most welcome. And, uh, you know, Ben, when you mentioned Quattro weather, I don't know if you guys saw, uh, but a big news story this week is that uh, Volkswagen has unveiled its next generation Golf R, a car that is uh, much revered in the world of hot hatches and uh yeah it's it promises to be even better than the last one um stays with the tried and tested two liter turbo but uh here it's kicking out 235 kilowatts and 420 newton meters of torque so uh, there's there's a lot of shove there and uh the big news is it's now got something called drift mode so if you um if you choose to specify the optional uh, performance pack you get a um, special driver profile mode which basically calls into action this new active torque vectoring differential which can which can send up to 100 percent of available drive to to either one of the rear rear wheels uh, which has the effect of making the car just a little bit more playful and a little bit more sort of rear rear biased which uh, always used to be a uh, a fault that people would call out on the Golf R, that it was too dull, that it was too cool, calm and collected in terms of uh, delivering its power. But uh, yeah, VW coming out and uh, making this new one a little bit more playful. I don't know what your thoughts are, Dennis. It looks very playful indeed. The earlier all-wheel drive systems, as, as grippy as they were in wet weather, kind of were fun sapping when you really tried to drive it uh, hard because the problem was that uh, they were very understeering. So these these drift modes and rear biased all-wheel drive systems are becoming quite a trend and it's good to see, especially from an enthusiast driver's point of view. It is, it is, absolutely. Uh, Brenman, you're a VW, a VW guy with your Volkswagen Polo. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, look, the, the Golf R is... It's just always been that archetypal super hot hatch all-rounder, um, and I'd be keen to see how well the drift mode works. Um, I, I won't lie, when I when I read about that, I, I did sort of roll my eyes a bit because I thought back to the Ford Focus RS and, and their drift mode and what a flop that was. Um, you know, I remember them demoing it on a skid pan at the launch and the car just sort of understeered in a semicircle, which wasn't really much of a drift. 
but yeah, let's see how it goes. Um, interestingly as well, they they're, they're going to keep the manual transmission, which we probably won't get in our market. Um, as I know, they did offer the pre um the car the outgoing one in a manual for for a little bit, and maybe only five people bought it. You know, DSG is the way. But I suppose if they if they're serious about pandering to enthusiasts and maybe in uh, markets abroad where there's greater volumes of people who will take them up on that, it's cool. You know. It is, absolutely. I mean, it, it's kind of weird, though, because they've got that manual gearbox option, but it's only for uh, the North American and, and Canadian markets, which, uh, you know, those are, those, are, those are areas of the world that have long favored automatic gearboxes over, over manuals. So kind of a, a, weird, a weird decision there. But, uh, yeah, looking forward to that. VWSA says it's going to be arriving on our shores at the end of 2021 or maybe during the first quarter of 2022 so something to look forward to what else has been happening dennis yeah i'm just wondering if they're going to be able to price that uh, golf r at under million rand we will see, we'll see. <laughs> yeah exactly but, exactly yeah, but but something slightly cheaper well maybe not that much cheaper but uh, this this week i attended the launch of the audi q3 sportback now, this is the sexier coupe cousin of the standard Q3, and it's got that lower sloping uh, coupe star roof, but it's still got four doors, so it's quite practical. Uh, headroom in the back is quite decent still, even though it, uh, it's got that sloping roof, and it's, it's lost a little bit of luggage space, but it's, it's still very decent at about 530 liters. Uh, they've positioned this Sportback uh, a bit higher in terms of price and, uh, and power, of the regular Q3, so whereas the ordinary Q3 comes only with a 1.4 turbo petrol engine, the Sportback offers that engine as well as a, uh, a more powerful 2-litre engine with 132 kilowatts, and it's also got Quattro drive now that we are on the Quattro subject. So the the 1.4 version only has front-wheel drive. So it's it's a reasonable performance. Nor 200 is claimed in uh, 7.8 seconds. But it's not necessarily about uh, blistering performance, but uh, what I found driving the vehicle is that it's got a very good ride quality. When I, when I drove the regular Q3, when I road tested that last year, I took it uh, on a gravel road en route to a mountain bike race, and I found that it had really terrific ride quality, even though it had relatively low-profile tires. And I found exactly the same thing with this uh, sport back version. So it, uh, if long-distance family trips beckon, then certainly this is a, an option to consider, this vehicle. And now you can have a, a, a sexier roof line as well to go with it. Yeah, it's definitely quite a good-looking uh, good machine. Uh, I think Audi have done a good job, you know, with the whole coupe styling sloping roof back. I haven't driven it. I'm trying to get one from Audi for my December-January holidays. So, um, yeah, working on that, and I think that'll be a – a nice way to to test it out what else have you been driving i haven't been driving this particular vehicle unfortunately although i hope to get a crack at it but uh, big news in europe now is that the world's first flying car that has been certified for the road has now started driving on european roads so the allure of being able to escape traffic gridlocks in flying cars has fascinated us ever since the idea was made popular in the cartoon series The Jetsons from the 60s. Now that idea has come closer to reality with the so-called PAL-V, 
Liberty flying car. So it's been approved for road use in Europe. That means it's allowed to drive on the road. And But at the moment, it still has to go through a few hoops before it can be legally certified to, to fly. But uh, it's quite interesting. Uh, the performance on the road, it's uh, got a claimed top speed of 160 k's an hour and a driving range of 1,300 kilometers. But then once it gets uh, air certified, it should take around five to 10 minutes to turn it into an aircraft by unfolding its rotor blades and propeller, and then it turns into a gyroplane. And the idea is that you can't necessarily just take off from traffic while you're sitting in the gridlock, but what you can do is drive it to your local airfield then fly to the next town and then drive it from the airport to your final destination. So this, according to the, its makers, is the future of motoring. I see. Okay. Well, look, I mean, it's a pretty cool concept, but uh, what about licensing and all that kind of stuff? I mean, one assumes that you'd have to have a, a PPL uh, in order to fully exploit its, its, uh, its air credentials. You do indeed. It requires a gyroplane license, which can be obtained in about 30 to 40 hours of training. So, yeah. And at the moment, they're looking at pricing this vehicle at something like 12 million rand. But I think once the economies of scale kick in, (laughs) it'll be a lot cheaper. Yeah, that's that's insane. Quick one on this. Do you know how fast it can can fly? Its flying speed is 180 k's an hour. And it can reach okay. an altitude of 3,500 meters. And its, its flying range is about 500 kilometers. So you could, you could just about get from Joburg to Peter Maritzburg on that flying range. Okay. Okay. Well, I mean, that's not shabby at all. Pretty interesting stuff there. Brenwin, we, we're going to take a flight on over to you. Um, I think you've got some information about the new uh, Isuzu MUX. Well, gentlemen, uh, my news is a little more down to earth, um, and it's not every day that that you hear news from Isuzu or that a new Isuzu is announced. I mean, this is a brand whose identity is rooted in utilitarian products with lengthy life cycles. Um, now, the Japanese firm recently took the wraps off its uh, its next generation MUX, which undoubtedly hopes to put a better effort in at uh, the fight against the Toyota Fortuna and Ford Everest than what the current offering achieved. So it will be underpinned by the same platform as the seventh generation Isuzu D-Max, which is also imminent. And from a styling perspective, there is a lot to admire. It has a disgruntled looking face and pleats that may or may not have been etched with a katana sword. The interior promises more plushness than ever before, while a revised version of the familiar three liter turbocharged diesel engine will continue to serve buyers. Now, Isuzu SA says it will still be imported from Thailand. We asked them, but uh, they were unable to confirm a local arrival date when we reached out to them. Um, and, of course, there is more information on this uh, on the Times Live website. Uh, the story will be up there later today. I did send it to you, Mr. Falconer. So if our, our listeners are interested in that, they can have a look. Exactly. In fact, they can go and have a look right now because it has been uploaded. Uh, so you can read all about it up on Times Live motoring what else have you been up to um i I heard you did some some judging this week i did indeed so i was uh at the cars awards uh yesterday and that's that explains why i'm i'm sort of reclined in my in my bed 
because it was quite a long day of of driving. I drove nine cars uh, in three categories. Um, okay, so I mean, the Cars Awards is is now in its in its sixth year um, annual competition, sponsored by West Bank. A uh, whole assortment of categories, a uh, whole bunch of different uh, journalists, influencers, and media personalities involved in the process. And I was assigned to three categories. The first was hot hatchbacks, a very interesting category. Uh, we were we were mediating competition between the Volkswagen Golf uh, GTI TCR, Hyundai i30N, and the Honda Civic Type R. And then the next category for me was uh, sports executives, which um, which included the Audi A4, the 40 TFSI guys, the BMW 330i S edition, and the Mercedes-Benz C300 AMG line. And then last for me was the uh, adventure SUV category, very popular uh, segment in South Africa. We've got the Toyota Fortuna, the Ford Everest, and the Isuzu MUX, which I just spoke about. But uh, I think I should I should talk about the the 330is edition because that for me I hadn't experienced before. Um, obviously these other cars I've had some some encounters with previously, and I got to tell you, gents, I'm loath to call it uh, an is. It's it's basically I mean as we know it's a 330i with some cosmetic bits uh, added to it in in a bit to sort of invoke the spirit of the old gusheshe, which it doesn't do. Uh, I must be honest. I, I don't know if you guys have had a crack at it yet. You probably will, but um, but yeah, nice car, just not anywhere close to to those levels of of what the the classic IS um, achieved in its day. You know, it's it's, it's a blatant marketing uh, exercise, and I think a lot of people are quite disappointed about that, especially your ardent BMW fans. Um, but in in isolation, I must say it was it was a really good car compared to. The other two, I can't say if it's if if it's going to win or not. I can't say much about that. But yeah, it, it was it was an impressive car, especially on the skid pan. Um, certainly a lot livelier than its front wheel drive counterpart from from Audi. Yeah, look, I mean, I haven't driven it, but I tend to agree with you. I think it's a whole it's a whole lot of marketing BS. Um, you know that 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 has got nothing to do uh, with the old classic three two five IS. I mean, it's a, it's a massive stretch. Uh, to kind of say that this this new one has anything anything in common with its predecessor. So um, yeah, and uh, going on the comments uh, on Ignition TV's Facebook page because uh, you know we've had this car up there on the TV channel. Uh, nobody else seems to be buying it. So uh, yeah, not a not a great little uh, you know uh, marketing exercise of that. But uh, yeah. Interested to see what happens. Interesting to see what the results are. Uh, the hot hatch segment sounds interesting. I finally got a chance to drive that that i30N, and I really enjoyed it. Um, I had it down in the Cape recently, and uh, yeah, I was I was actually really impressed with it. Um, its handling was great. It was quick enough, uh, and I like the fact that it's not a, a VW Golf or you know a Honda Civic or a Irena Magant. So yeah, we getting we getting shouted at here by producer Didi. We're running out of time, um, guys. Is there anything else you want to chip in with before we uh, we head on to the next segment? Yeah, Thomas, I just wanted to say that uh, I'm about to attend a virtual launch of the new Nissan Navara. So that's something that uh, we'll chat about on the show next week. It'll be interesting yeah. to see what they've done with it. 
Exactly. You and me both, Dennis, will both be there tuned in. So it should be interesting to see what Nissan are bringing to the table. Uh, very competitive segment. And uh, I think they'll need something good, you know, to go up against the likes of the Hilux and the Ford Ranger. And the Ranger. So, yeah, yeah. They, yeah. They've never managed to move the same kind of uh, numbers, uh, Nissan, with that Navara, even though it's quite a good vehicle. So we'll see if they can come up with something to just attract more customers. Exactly. We will. We will indeed. Guys, thanks a lot. That's it for news. Um, we're going to take a quick break. And when we return, we'll be joined in studio by special guest Join me, Nicole Engelbrecht, your host on True Crime South Africa, a weekly podcast that covers both solved and unsolved South African true crime cases. Welcome back to Cargumentative. In this segment of the show, we're joined in the virtual studio by the one and only Charmaine Mavutsi, Head of Customer Experience at Volvo Car South Africa. Charmaine, thanks for finding the time to join us on the show again. Um, how have you been? I've been good, thank you. Just trying to survive the different levels of lockdown. <laughs> but exactly. we are busy and moving forward, full steam ahead. Fantastic to hear. Um, it's crazy days. Are you are you still working from home or have you guys migrated back to the office? So we've um, slowly been migrating back to the office. Um, we're quite a small team and our space allows us to at least kind of work together and still practice social distancing. But it's been quite good, I think I must say, to get to see everybody else again. I think the energy from a work perspective is different. Um, but yeah, it was also quite good to learn how to work remotely properly. So everything has its perks and benefits, I guess. Exactly, exactly. They sure do. Um, now, the first time you joined us in the studio, we chatted about, about Volvo's Equal Vehicles for All initiative uh, that basically strives to make vehicles safer for men and women alike. Uh, today, however, I'd like to talk about some of, the, some of the technologies that Volvo is developing to combat distracted driving and bad habits. Um, and the first on my list is something called driver monitoring. And you guys have apparently got or you're working on um, a range of driver monitoring cameras uh, that will allow the car to essentially track whoever is sat behind the steering wheel. Can you tell me a little bit more about this? Absolutely. So um, it's one of three focus areas um, in terms of um, innovation technology and development that we're focusing on globally and with the R&D team. Um, with the driver monitoring cameras specifically, basically they utilize sensors to monitor a driver's behavior um, and it's installed to keep track of the driver's visual behavior, so that's eye movement and control, pupil reactions, scanning behavior, and it just allows for us to be able to, for the vehicle rather, to be able to pick up um, any disturbing or any um, incorrect driving pattern and then it begins to prompt the car to at least or to prompt the driver to stop. Um, alternatively, it will then the car itself intervene um, when there is a clear indication of intoxication or inattentive um, driving behavior. 
Okay, I see. Now, I mean, you mentioned patterns. Now, what kind of patterns will this recognize? I mean, say, for example, I'm driving down the highway and, uh, you know, I'm trying out this new dating app and I'm scrolling right and scrolling left. Um, is, the car gonna say, <laughs> is the car going to say, hold on, hold on, hold on. You're doing something that you shouldn't be doing and I recognize it. So, you know, is it, is it going to, is it kind of like, like a broad-based system where it just recognizes random or distracted behaviors or is it certain things that the camera can actually pick up like phones or you know eating and driving or talking to your friend next door or you know whatever it may be sure so i mean the sensors would pick up for as I mentioned, um, eye movements um, within the car and then within the, the, the driver of the vehicle. So, for example, if it senses that you're not um, constantly focused on the road or your eye movement is very distracted, that would be one signal, one cue it would pick up. Um, already, for example, it can pick up if your driving pattern in terms of the hands on the steering wheel and the force is um, present or strong enough. Um, in the absence of that, you begin to get um, warnings or notifications. So, largely, it's around, you know, I think the cognitive um, uh, areas in which one uses when driving, but predominantly your eyes and your hand movement around the wheel. And then obviously just the pattern. If you are here rearing off or slightly um, going over the lines on the road, um, it would pick up on that as well. Fascinating stuff there. And I mean, um, you also touched on intoxication. Is that is that also something that, that the camera can, can actually pick up or is that utilized with another sensor uh, that that, for instance, could pick up traces of um, alcohol on a driver's breath. So I think um, the long-term ambition obviously would be to get to a point where it can pick up from the driver's breath. Um, but in this case, it probably would be the sensors that just pick up certain driving patterns, be it um, accelerating, braking too quickly, driving, as I mentioned, um, outside of the lines that, um, that restrict us on the roads and the specific lanes. Um, but largely with then the first phase, um, in terms of the rollout of it, it would be focused on the eye movements and the behavior in terms of the hands on the actual steering wheel and the driving pattern um, um, related to that. Okay. All right, cool. Now, coming up with the smart technology is one thing, but implementing it can be you know, a completely different ball of wax and um, you know we've seen it with smartphones and smart tvs where people have installed cameras that face us and there's a lot of kind of i'd say almost paranoia about about um, our things being able to watch us and tap into our lives you know have you guys had any kickback from from study groups or consumers about this system and having cameras in the car that are essentially watching every move you make um, I think, you know, as is, for example, when the seatbelt was invented and there was um, a bit of pushback and kickback around that, where fast forward 60 years later, it's something that was given to the industry and has been saving lives for many years. Um, we do not have any noted pushback around this development. And this, I must mention again, it is um, innovations that are coming in cars to come. Um, so we have not have any, had anything notable, but I can imagine to, to some people it, it might not necessarily sit well with them but I think it's only once you have something in practice and you realize the value of it especially when it comes to saving lives that the full appreciation of it kind of settles in um, especially with people right like you said any 
Um, any period it takes to adapt sometimes is usually <laughs> not as smooth sailing. But so far, we haven't had any pushback notable um, that we've picked up on. Well, that's good to hear. And I mean, it does sound like a system that will have many, many, many benefits. And not just for the person you know, who owns a car and drives that car, but also to um, other people um, you know, on, on the street, like pedestrians and cyclists, um, mistakes do happen. And um, if a, you know, um, a camera-fed computer system can actually help mitigate accidents and road deaths, then I suppose we should, uh, we should celebrate it and not fear it, you know? We can't fight yes. the future forever. Exactly. Now, um, I know the last time we chatted, we touched briefly on uh, the, the controversial 180-kilometer-hour speed limit that uh, Volvo is currently imposing on all its new vehicles. Has this been rolled out in South Africa yet, um, or has it been delayed because of the whole COVID-19 fiasco? So um, it's been rolled out with our Model Year 21 cars, which globally um, have already, um, I think, you know, been rolled out in other markets. For us, there has been a delay, obviously, with uh, the lockdown and the, the pandemic that we experienced um, earlier on this year. But we'll see those cars begin to hit our shores end of this year, early next year, available for the consumer early next year. Okay, perfect. And again, I mean, in terms of feedback, I know there's been mixed reaction uh, to it overseas. What has the local situation been? Um, have you guys had people giving it the thumbs up or the thumbs down? Or do most people seem kind of, you know, not overly concerned? Um, I think the initial sentiment, surprisingly, especially for um, our market, was it was quite positive. Um, views that we picked up. I think there was a lot more curiosity around it, really. Um, what we did find when we did um, just some educational content around it, like on social platforms, for example, um, it did spark the conversations around should we actually be um, bothered by, you know, um, a car speed limit of 180 when our road speed limits 120? Um, and in that case, then how do we justify? So if anything, I think at a bare minimum, it sparked necessary conversation um, I think we'll also begin to see a lot more of how people receive it towards next year when the cars are actually within the market and consumers are driving it. But I would certainly hope that the positive sentiment or at least the neutral um, conversation sentiment that has been lurking around it um, continues. And if, if and anything at all, we need to at least have the right conversations around what are the right speed limits for our cars to have, especially when we're looking at what the roads allow for. Exactly. Look, I, I mean, whether it's a, a good thing or a bad thing, it gets people talking and engaging with the Volvo. Brand. Um, and I suppose from a PR point of view, that's a, a, a very good thing. I personally believe that on a, an everyday car, you know, do you really need to go faster than 180 k's an hour? You know, exactly. so, so yeah, I think, it's, um, I think it's actually quite a good move. Um, and yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if other manufacturers also followed suit uh, further down the road. Let's leave speed limits for a second, and let's talk about self-driving cars. Now, as we all know, self-driving technology is a complicated and expensive science, and Volvo seems to have found a way around both these issues by partnering with a Florida-based company called Luminar that specializes in the manufacture of cutting-edge 
and cost-effective LIDAR sensors that will be used in Volvo's new highway pilot system scheduled for release in 2022. Without getting too technical, because I know that this can be a very technical subject, can you give us a quick rundown on the partnership with Luminar, what LIDAR is, and um, how the system will, in a nutshell, work on new Volvos? Sure. So, I mean, um, LIDAR sensors basically, um, uh, trying to put it as simply as possible, they um, release millions of pulses of laser light to accurately detect uh, where objects um, are by scanning the environment within a 3D um, sphere. Um, and the key in creating our cars that can navigate safely through complex environments, for example, um, will enable us to um, develop autonomous mode when it comes to the driving functionality of the car. And that basically is the focus of our um, SPA2 platform cars, um, which will come hardware ready for autonomous driving from production, as you mentioned, in 2022. Um, when they do hit our shores, however, um, I think it's something that is still to come. Um, but I know from a production point of view, this is definitely a focus area. And as a part of the entire global strategy, um, in all our other markets, we are actively working and pushing, um, pushing for the autonomous driving um, agenda. Now we're talking about autonomous. Now is this is this system going to be semi-autonomous or is it going to be completely fully autonomous? I can take my hands off the wheel and go down the N1 highway on my road trip from Joburg to Cape Town. Is it is it that kind of vibe? So, yes, I think the end objective would be for it to be fully autonomous. Um I think prior to that we will release, release different um, variations of it, obviously as well as they go through rigorous testing, um, but the end result is for us to have fully autonomous cars um, available to consumers. That's incredible. And I mean, how does the system compare uh, to something like Tesla Autopilot? Is it a comparable, a comparable you know, system or do you think it's slightly better? Um, without having have ever experienced the Tesla system, I'd err on the side of caution to compare the two. <laughs> <laughs> I'm putting you on the spot here. That is very much so in development. Um, again, this would only be informed by um, once at least we have the car on the roads and we actually, you know, can um, speak on a fact-to-fact basis. Okay, and um, I've got a I've got a question here from a, a listener who wanted to know: um, Will the system be a a cost option? on new Volvos from 2022 onwards, or is it going to be built in as standard on most, um, on most Volvo models? So it will be um, hardware ready for um, most Volvos, so it will be built in. Okay, I see. All right. Yes. What about legislation around autonomous driving? Um, offhand, do you know of anything in South Africa that might be against it, or is it is it quite a an open an open page when it comes to um, autonomous driving in South Africa um, and regulations, etc.? I think this is something that is probably still um, developing quite quite a bit within our market. Um, I think there's a lot of variables to also take into place when we then look at um, how ready our market is for that. And that's why our global ambition for rollout is 2022, and that's in market-ready um, environments. Um, but in South Africa, I think we need to take into consideration, for example, things like the condition of our roads um, and just making sure they're worthy or they are suitable enough for us to get to a point that at least those sensors can detect the right kind of markings on the road for example. Um, so I think this is something that is still actually very much so, if I can say, a work in progress within South Africa. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. I mean, you know, we, we might find, um, and this might not just apply to Volvo only, but it might apply to other manufacturers who bring this technology in, that we might only be u- be able to use this technology on certain parts um, of our road network, you know, like uh, so, so on, on some of the larger uh, national highways. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens uh, down the road with, with autonomy and autonomous driving. Um, the clock is ticking. I want to just find out from you, is there anything else up Volvo's, up Volvo's sleeve in terms of safety and driver aid systems uh, in the near future? And uh, are there any surprises for 2020, 2021? Um, in terms of developments, I think we've basically kind of talked through um, our main focus areas for the next coming few years. But for 2021, I think definitely the market should keep an eye out on Volvo. We might have um, a surprise or two yet. We can't disclose, but yeah, definitely just keep an eye out. Okay. Well, that's a nice little teaser for all you Volvo fans. Um, Charmaine, we've run out of time, but thanks again for joining us here in the virtual studio. Thank you so much for having me, Thomas. It's only a pleasure. It's only a pleasure. That was Charmaine Mavuzi, Head of Customer Experience at Volvo Car South Africa. And uh, folks, that's it for this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. And, you, and uh, well, I hope you'll join us again next week for another episode of Cargumentative.